0: I am so excited to continue this today, uh, it's been stirring in me the whole time that I've been out and about, but let me just say, we are working together as a church family to deepen our love for scripture and awaken our passion for Jesus. That's it. We are working as a church family to deepen our love for scripture and awaken our passion for Jesus, and if we can do that, we'll be the church he's called us to be. That's what he's called us to be. There are a lot of, and, and, and we're sorting through this, and we haven't figured it out. We're not against anybody that does it differently. But what, what we are learning as a church family right now is an eldership team. Um, there are a lot of cultural expressions of advice-giving sermons that are existing in our society right now. It's kind of modified the expression of the gospel to a place where we kind of put everybody's best life at the center, give good advice messages, and apply some scriptures to that. And that's really popular in our society, I mean like ravingly popular in our society. And and I'm not saying it's wrong to do those types of things from time to time, but we were really good at that. You know, this is something God began to show us. He's taking us into a new season. So rather than this, you know, focus of, of how I can help you have the best life you can possibly have in the earth, I would rather help you learn how to die to yourself so you can truly live and experience eternal expressions of life and rewards in your everyday life. And what I just said is, I really don't want to help you live. I want to help you die. I mean, that's what I said. And so I want you to understand clearly what I'm saying. We don't wanna play any religious games. We don't wanna pull any punches. We, we understand Jesus had a cross at the center of his life, the core of his life. The Father's most uh, prevalent interest was not Jesus' best life on earth but rather the eternal kingdom being expressed that required him to die. You and I have a cross that we need to die on, and today, that's what we did. We gathered together that we might have a greater understanding of what that really looks like in our personal life, so that we can be who God's called us to be. I don't want to be a great preacher. I don't want to be a great pastor. I want to be an awesome disciple of Jesus Christ, and everything else can flow out of that, however that's supposed to flow out. That needs to be our passion. Come on, why don't you just give Jesus a hand clap of praise right now. We just honor the Lord, his powerful word. In Jesus' name. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at this, and it's so amazing. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus is making a statement to Pharisees. The New Testament had not been written, and he makes the statement, these scriptures point to me. John five thirty-nine. These scriptures testify about me. What scriptures is Jesus talking about if the New Testament had not yet been written? He's talking about the Old Testament. So we've gone back and we're going all the way through every book of the Bible. I mean, this is like going to the gym. We're working hard at this. I promise you I'm working hard uh, <clears throat> in preparation unlike anything I've done before. And I'm learning so much. And I realized once, even while I was in the theology forum, this has all been training and equipping for more of what God has in store for all of us. And uh, so we've gone through, we've seen Jesus in Genesis, Jesus in Exodus, if the scriptures testify about Jesus, then we need to know where Jesus is in all the books of the Bible. So today we're continuing that, we are Jesus in Ruth. And so progression of learning, this is the eighth book of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, we love every one of them. We want to embrace everything the Bible has to say, it'll help us become more of who God wants us to be. Uh, but an but, uh, interesting progression in these three books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. You'll, you'll be able to remember these, and you'll never look at Ruth the same after today. It's a very famous book, stories written, plays, and productions done. Uh, after this, next week, we'll go into Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, <clears throat> which were actually three writings that we've now divided into six. Uh, and I'll explain those things, and we'll be looking at those so that you and I might be more studious to the Word of God. I want to empower you. I don't want to just inspire you. I want to empower you that you and I might be more uh, involved in really knowing the Word. So a good way to remember Joshua judges Ruth after the Pentateuch, after the first five books of the, of the Bible, then we're looking at you know, how to memorize it. Joshua judges Ruth, but he shouldn't. Courtesy laughs abound. Joshua judges Ruth, but he shouldn't judge her. And so that's how you can remember those three books. And so here's Ruth. This is an interesting book of the Bible where Jesus is revealed. If these scriptures testify about Jesus, then where is Jesus in each book? And it's been fascinating to see. I knew that existed, but I didn't know to what degree. The book of Ruth reveals Jesus, common phrase, kinsman redeemer. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Uh, what does that really mean? That's what we want to know. We want to look at Scripture and understand what it really means, not just what people talk about. We want to see through the lens of truth what we might really discover God's revealing. So, Jesus, the kinsman, redeemer, is revealed through Boaz. I'm going to help you understand the characters, the, the setting, the context, so that when you're reading the Bible, you can more effectively read the Bible. Because going to church should be more like going to the gym where you're empowered to exercise your mind, your faith than the movies where you come and you're dazzled by maybe some insight some speaker might share. We don't want you to fall in love with the speaker, we want you to fall in love with the Savior. So every day may we fall more in love with him. So what we see, the kinsman redeemer, that, that just simply means somebody who's related to me, who sees my hardship and rescues me from difficulty. How many of you are so thankful Jesus saw your hardship and rescued you out of it to redeem your life? I mean, aren't you thankful for this King of kings and Lord of lords, this Savior Jesus who rescued us out of this, all the nonsense that we were rescued out of. We're actually one month on uh, August 21st. We're going to do something. You'll start hearing more about it now. But it is the August 21st Friday night midnight service. Yea and amen we are going to gather and worship at midnight on that particular Friday night and I want to invite you to plan to come out I know it's going to wreck your schedule a little bit for Saturday perhaps but at midnight we're going to gather in this room and we are just going to get our worship on and what we're doing is we're focusing on two things and the Holy Spirit began to speak this when Dale Gentry uh, suggested it as he was speaking here months ago but I, I just felt the Lord say we're to go into a midnight hour and conquer darkness darkness. Darkness and depression. How many of you know midnight speaks of the darkest hour? And it was at the midnight hour that Paul and Silas were worshiping and their chains broke off. I believe at the midnight hour we're to worship and some chains are to break off in Jesus' name. Come on, there's something that God's calling us to accomplish that's more than just showing up to church. There are some assignments we need to answer. So we're going to invade the midnight hour, we're going to have some glow. Uh, stuff that you can wear because we're called to be a light in darkness Uh, and we just want to join in that time of just seeking God and and really expressing that we want to break the power of darkness and depression so we want to invade the midnight hour together as a family and let the kinsman redeemer Jesus who is family now rescue us out of some of those things Um, just amazing how Jesus wants to rescue us out of so much and we need to cooperate with that in our own lives. Uh, So this is Jesus revealed and you'll see through the characters and the expression how Jesus is revealed primarily through Boaz in an amazing way as someone related drew them out. So understand this when related. That's important, right? Derek didn't know what I was talking about today but he took us from zero to family in 5.2 seconds, right? We went to family. How many of you know the kingdom of God is about family? Kingdom of God is about family. If you didn't pass the books down, please do that and take out your note card because this is a really important statement. I want you to fill out your your first blank. Write this in. As Christians, God does not hire us to work for him as religion would suppose. As Christians, God does not hire us to work for him. He adopts us into his family and fathers us like a loving and protective father should. He doesn't hire us to work. He adopts us as family. You and I should have a revelation of family. Jesus ushered the most amazing revelation of family into the world that the world had ever known. He said, when you pray, say what? Our Father. He was showing the world. This was something that nobody had thought. These Pharisees had no concept of God being Father, and Jesus all of a sudden shows up with this father revelation, this family revelation. And this is what we're seeing in this particular book. And so I want to walk through. This is fairly intricate. Uh, it's fairly theological what I want to take you through today. But uh, I felt it was just the Lord was calling us to, to dig in a bit. So let's, I'll kind of watch the time and see how far we can go. There's always more on the blog, destinychristian.com. Go to the blog and you can read more of, of what we're talking about each Sunday. Bless you, Cassie. Do not sneeze in my sermon. <laughs> so, Ruth 1, 1-2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Now, in, in just a bit, I'm going to take you to a genealogy picture to explain, but, but let me help you get a little bit of this, okay? The book of Ruth, and we've not heard of her yet. We hear Elimelech, say that five times fast, you'll be speaking in other languages, uh, his wife Naomi, their sons Malon and Kilion. And, and so here they are, there's a famine in the land where God's people live. These are God's people. These are descendants and expressions of Abraham, and they're going to leave the place Uh, that God had called them to be because of a famine in the land. They were going to go to this land, and did you hear where they went? They went to the country of Moab. And in Moab, they're going to meet Ruth. Ruth and another girl named Orpah. Ruth and Orpah live in Moab. And so uh, Ruth, just so you're aware, Ruth is a descendant of Abraham's nephew, Lot. Okay, I know I'm giving you a lot right now. I know the jokes are really bad, but I've been gone, so please just laugh extra hard just to make me feel better. Um, So Ruth is a descendant of Abraham's nephew, Lot. You remember the story about Abraham and Lot, right? And so Abraham and Lot, they're journeying along. God is blessing their lives. They become so abundant that they say, you know what? The, the, this place can't contain. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. Uh, and so let's, let's divide and take different parts of the country and continue to expand and be fruitful and multiply. And Abraham says to his nephew, Lot, this is our promised land, and I defer to you. Look upon the land, tell me what looks best, and you go there. And Lot looked upon the land. Do you remember all this in the Bible? He looked upon the land. The place that looked the most awesome was the place where he went. He went. How many of you know just because something looks awesome doesn't make it right? Just because something looks awesome doesn't make it good. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Lot looked at the most awesome part of the land. He went there. We know through the progression of history that became Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that out of Sodom and Gomorrah something unique happened. This was a place of great sexual sin. And out of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Lot and his wife and, and their two daughters leave and as they leave, his wife is killed. And you remember this? And, his, and then Lot takes his two daughters up into the caves. All this is important to this particular book, and you'll understand in just a moment. You stand with me on the history lesson, right? And so now Lot and his two daughters are in the cave, and they're, they're kind of hiding out, and the two daughters start saying, oh no, what if we never wed? What if we never have children? What if we have no legacy? And so they get Lot drunk, and they have incestual sex with their father, and get pregnant and have children. So not only do they come out of this sexual sin scenario, but now they participate in further sexual sin, and they have two children. Each each daughter has a son. Those sons' names are Ammon and Moab. Moab. And Moab and Ammon are blessed as a part of the blessing expression of Abraham in their lives, even though they were born out of sexual sin and incestual relationship. Can I just tell you, no matter what's going on in your life, God is able to bless you if you're willing to surrender to him. It's amazing how he can do that. And so the Moab expands and becomes a huge group of people called the Moabites. Ammon expands and becomes a huge group of people called the Ammonites. And now when you're reading your Bible and you read on the Moabites and the Ammonites, you know that those were born out of sexual sin. And so Ruth lives in a city of Moab that is the expression and legacy of sexual sin. Okay, we all together? So now this family, they're moving, and they're going to Moab, the city that's the legacy of sexual sin. And, uh, and the, the two boys are going to meet their wives there. And so if you'll see the, the genealogy pick, if you'll flash that up, we can kind of see there's Elimelech, Naomi. Their, their two sons are Chilion and Malon. And uh, Chilion marries Orpah. Malon marries Ruth. And then Boaz is going to come into the picture. Ruth and Boaz are going to get married. And then they're going to have children. And ultimately you can see Ruth becomes a part of the lineage of the Messiah. How many of you believe that's very important? Okay, once again, look this way. Uh, Ruth is a very important player here. And she is rescued out of this legacy of sexual sin to become a part of the lineage of the Messiah. So now you've got the background of why this book's so important. and the context, I can start to share some things that normally I wouldn't be able to share with you. But understand this. But by the way, this is an important piece. As your pastor, it is important that I join with our elders in seeking God over the things that we need to walk through and understand. And train and equip God's people to be uh, you know, equipped and armed with truth. Very important, and so let me just say, uh, we're not against anybody, we're for Jesus, but we do need to understand this very important reality right now. Uh, There are people that have great fame and great movements and followings that a lot of people listen to, and just because somebody's famous doesn't make them right. Just because somebody has a great following and they seem to have this inviting message, Sometimes we need to break the hypnotic trance we have with people so that we can see clearly the truth about Jesus. And I'm talking about in the church world as well as in the entertainment world. Amen. Uh, You're going to answer to God for what you've chosen to believe, not for what somebody told you to believe. Okay, very important. And so uh, I'm I'm driving at Orpah, that person in the Bible. We don't hear much about Orpah, but just so you know, Orpah um, in 1954... A little girl was born, and her mom decided to name her after someone in the Bible. She was going to name her after Orpah, but she got the spelling wrong. And on the birth certificate, true story, Orpah was spelled Oprah. And Oprah Winfrey was named after Orpah, only slightly misspelled, and, uh, and, and again, no shot to, but it's just reality. Her name is almost biblical, and so is her theology. Okay, just understand that uh, she's inviting, warm, wonderful lady does some great things for the world, and I appreciate that about her. But she does not believe Jesus is the only way. She was offended with a pastor when she was young, therefore she deviated from Christianity as you and I might embrace and understand. And she has clearly said on national forums, Jesus is not the only way to God. That's not true. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is the only way. He is the only way. We need to understand that in a world that we live in today, Jesus is the only way. Okay, so we're going to continue here, but let's just point out uh, Ruth 1, and we're going to continue verse 14. Before I do, just quickly so you understand, the family moves to Moab. Elimelech and his wife are there. Elimelech dies in Moab. This is important. Uh, Pornography, it's a huge issue in our society today. The issues of sexual sin are so vast in the society in which we live. Moab speaks of a place of sexual sin. Moab is the place where Naomi lost her husband. Not only did Elimelech die, but both sons died. Do you understand? The place of sexual sin is where the family comes under incredible attack and people die. This is, uh, you know, how many of you know death shows up in a lot of ways? A lot of people die long before they're buried. They have no dream. They just kind of exist. They're really boring. Uh, And I just want you to know Jesus wants you to live life. He wants you to experience life. So don't let any area distract you and sap the life out of you rise up and be alive the person god's called you to be and this place of sexual sin will steal your life it will cause you to almost move into the grave emotionally and mentally not even realize you're there And that's what this is. That's what this is talking about in Moab where husbands and sons are lost and marriages are destroyed because these two boys married uh, Orpah and Ruth and their marriages were destroyed because of the death of the men as well as the father was destroyed. So this is where we pick up verse 14. At this they wept again. They're mourning. Obviously they've lost family. They're they're mourning. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye But Ruth clung to her. Boy, that's a great sermon in and of itself. That's the hardest thing about preaching through the books like this, pointing out Jesus. I just want to pause and preach. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And look, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn from you. Where you go, I will go. This is another one of those sermon verses. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Okay? So very important that we all understand this principle that's being revealed here that I just want to capitalize on as we're reading through this. Orpah entered into this relationship, and as soon as the relationship had more cost, Then it did benefit, Orpah said, kissy, kissy, bye-bye, I'm out. How many of you know there's some people who want to be in relationship with you as long as it's beneficial to them, but as soon as the cost outweigh the benefit, kissy, kissy, bye-bye, they're gone. This is a really unique parallel that we can tie into the kiss of Judas to Jesus and his sell-out perspective. And I just want you to know, God wants you to be surrounded by men and women of God who are sold out to Jesus so they'll never sell out on you, and they're devoted to the cause of Christ, and as Ruth clung to her and said, your God is my God, and that's what establishes us. Come on, that's what every relationship ought to be built on. Every relationship. And when we build our relationships on that foundation of our relationship with God, and suddenly our devotion is not merely to each other, but it's to the Lord Jesus Christ. I stood with Sean and Sylvia yesterday on their wedding day. It was such a refreshing, funny uh, wedding. Some, some make me cry, some make me laugh, this one made me laugh. And as we're standing there, I just realized they're expressing their, exchanging their vows and expressing their devotion, and their commitment was to the Lord. And his commitment was to the Lord, and her commitment was to the Lord. Therefore, their devotion to each other is not a 50-50 relationship. It's 100-100 all the way. Because the foundation of a good relationship is two servants serving Jesus in love. Nothing more painful than two selfish people in a relationship. Nothing more beautiful than two servants in love. Kissy, kissy, bye-bye. That's Orpah. But Ruth, she clung. They clung together. And I just, you know, they went through a tough time. Would you agree? This was painful. The loss of people that you love is not easy. And I, I just want to say today, there's some people in here that have had some really tough circumstances. Some I'm aware of because I'm your pastor and we have conversations, and some I have, most I have no knowledge of whatsoever. But people in this room who have walked through difficult circumstances and situations, it's very important that you understand when you're walking through that and you feel that sense of heaviness and depression even and, and discouragement, I, I want to say, don't. Stop serving Jesus in seasons of sadness. Don't don't do that. As soon as you step away from serving the purposes of God because you've grown sad, depressed, whatever it may be, then you invite another level of that pain in your life. The Bible says in Psalms 126.5, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Don't stop serving in seasons of sadness. So in tears, continue to give, love, serve all the days of your life, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when circumstances happen, and you don't even understand how in the world this could be God. Gideon's comment a few weeks ago, Lord, if you're with us, how, why has all this happened? Just, just keep serving, keep living, keep loving, keep living, keep moving, keep believing. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine if we will keep one foot in front of the other. I love what Marianne Redmacker said, and I'm probably butchering her name because I've never heard of her in my life, but this quote was amazing. You probably have heard of her. She seemed quite famous when I Googled her. But she said, courage doesn't always roar. Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is a quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I'll try again tomorrow. Wow, that really spoke to me. So we go on now, we read Ruth 1, 20 to 21. Don't call me Naomi. She's returned to Bethlehem without her husband, without her sons, with one of her daughter-in-law, the other daughter-in-law, kissy, kissy, bye-bye. Ruth clung to her, said, where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And then she, now the people have come out to greet her. Naomi, you're back. And she says, Ruth 1, 20 to 21, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. How many of you know she was angry? How many of you have ever been angry at God about circumstances going on in your life? Can I just tell you that's normal? In fact, let me just say, welcome to my world. I mean, you you probably have no idea... And I'm not sure I've said too much about this publicly, but let me just go there today. Because you know I tell just about everything anyway. But I struggle with depression. I have to conquer that. This morning, I got my wife, before I walked out of the door, and I just said, just pray for me. I just feel... I'm just dealing with this heaviness. It's like, man, we came back from this trip. I mean, it's exhausting to do that. And then you come back, and you're trying to catch your breath. And got this wedding, and then we're doing church, and, and got Elders Meeting Wednesday. And I mean, a lot of things going, things happening. Boom, boom, boom. You come back, you're right and I just said, I just need you to pray for me. She just began to pray, and, and I realized I'm carrying something in intercessory mode. Some of you woke up this morning, you're feeling this sense of discouragement and depression, and I just say, let it be broken in the name of Jesus. Let you be on top of those things in your life in the name of Jesus. Why don't you just hiss the enemy away by the clapping of your hands, and we just serve notice on that today. Really engage your faith in the name of Jesus. I like to reiterate Job 27, 23 says, I will hiss the enemy away by the clapping of my hands. When we're saying, bravo, Lord, bravo, Lord, the enemy just puts his hands over his ears. He loses his grip on our lives, on our children. You and I have this incredible assignment to absolutely frustrate the plans of the devil. We're a lethal, lethal people against him. So here's the thing, and I'll just kind of wind this down because we need to have a little family chat together. Uh, As we conclude here. But was her pain legitimate? Yes. Everybody say yes. Okay. Conventional religious responses to people's uh, genuine pain create greater pain in people's lives. Ask Job. His friends tried it let me say it again so you track me on this, conventional religious responses to people's legitimate pain will produce greater pain in people's lives. They don't need to hear your conventional religious nonsense. We're not here representing the religious community in our world. We're here expressing Jesus Christ. The religious community in our world is crazy. The religious community in Jesus' day crucified him. Don't allow yourself to be any more religious than you have to. nobody's leaving that's good we're we're not trying to make anybody religious that is not our goal religion has all this and, and boy, religious reaction is horrible our world does not need religious reaction our world needs the intentional love of Jesus Christ lived out on an everyday basis that's what our world needs So her pain was legitimate, but let me just say, even if your pain uh, is legitimate, that doesn't mean it needs to hold you hostage for the rest of your life. She dealt with the pain. Next statement for you to write in on your blank. When we focus on the pain, we're prone to miss the point. Stop focusing on the pain. Lift up the name of Jesus. Let him bring a healing to you. Get on top of that thing. Share with somebody that you can trust. Don't post everything on Facebook. Just because you're hurt doesn't mean you post it on Facebook. Stop it. It's the most immature thing you can do, the most religiously immature thing you can do is just tell everybody all your hurts and all your pains out there in the public. You're not going to, and don't rant on Facebook about all the things that you've got an ax to grind. You're not going to change anybody's life by posting anything on Facebook. You're just going to look like a dumb dump. So, There's a lot of life left to live. Let me just say, let it go and live again. The pain might be legitimate, let it go and live again. Sometimes you need to hear me make mention of this. I don't just keep bringing it up over and over, but I know what it is to be sexually molested by a trusted family member when I was a child. So what? I know what it is for Jesus to restore and heal my life that I can let it go and move on and live again. Is anybody ready to live again? Let it go and live again. Life is not about what happens to you, right out of my book. Life is not about what happens to you. Life is about what happens in you when things happen to you. Things are always going to happen to you, but life can happen in you if you'll respond to Him rather than the external stimuli of whatever's going on in your life. Be better, don't be bitter. You can be better no matter what happens. Naomi lived this out. She recovered. She restored. That's where Boaz came in. She sent Ruth. Ruth then met Boaz. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer related to Elimelech, then drew Ruth into his family. Ruth is now a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ because Boaz, speaking of Jesus, drew us in that you and I might be a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. May we never look at the book of Ruth ever the same way again. May we be inspired. May we be empowered. May we be anointed. May we be a part of the expression of Jesus in the earth today because we understand the love and the power of Christ. If I were a gymnast, I'd do a backflip right now. (coughs) But I don't want to hurt myself. So here's your assignment today. God's presence is for real life. So every week we want a God's presence for real life action point. We don't want to just be hearers, we want to be doers. So your action point is to keep doing what we're asking everybody to do this, this year. We, we understand digital. I preached from a phone. Caught a little heat from preaching from a phone. Where's your Bible, they said when I was in England. Uh, and I said, it's there. <laughs> so we're all cool with digital. But to create an heirloom, get an old-fashioned Bible. One with leather cover. Invest in a nice one. Put your name on it. And then start in the book of Genesis. And every day, turn the page. That's all we're asking everybody to do. Write the date at the top, my wife's birthday was a few days ago, July 16th. I put it on there. Happy birthday, Tracy. One day, our grandchildren are going to read the Bibles that we've read through. My kids have done this now. This is a wonderful legacy and heirloom for you to produce, to have as an expression of your faith. Digital reading is awesome, but it just kind of disappears. If you do what I'm saying, you'll have these tremendous treasures that your children and grandchildren will one day hold in their hands and say, Wow. My grandpa and my grandma really loved Jesus, didn't they? And so just write some things at the top, journal through scripture. That's your assignment today. I want to pray for you if you're dealing with um, depression, discouragement, not going to make a big issue of it. Uh, We don't even need keyboard right now to to do this. I just want to ask if you're struggling with that, that's something you just want us to agree today. I'm raising my hand. Uh, obviously, but uh, just raise up your hand if that's you. Because I'm not like doing the example thing. I'm like responding to my altar call. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome, young man. It's a fine set of hair you have there. Great, thank you. Okay, anybody else? Discouragement. Just hold them up there. Discouragement, depression. We just want to break it. In Jesus' name. All right, holding up your hand. Just go ahead and lift both of them. Let's just agree. Father, I thank you for these men and women of God. When we focus on our strengths, it just breeds competition. But when we focus on our weakness, it produces something of community where we love each other, we embrace each other, we pray for each other. And so we just agree, Lord, depression, discouragement, darkness, be broken. Lord, we don't want to sensationalize it. We just want to address it and speak to it today and declare we are victorious. We are more than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We will rise up in the joy of the Lord that is our strength in every circumstance and situation that we face. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen men now with intentional faith hiss the enemy away let's agree right now in the name of jesus <coughs> bless the lord thank you lord yourself spiritually by turning the page every day and just start hissing the enemy away when thoughts, because how I many you know this is, change is a process, not an event. This is great, events and times like this contribute to the process of change, but it's a process, so stay on top, continue to stay in the word, keep coming to church. How many think coming to church is important? Uh, it's where we kind of get rejuvenated and encouraged, and in our case, we we're learning how to more effectively empower, not just inspire, and so uh, let's, let's stay the course with that, Okay. Uh, let me just point this out before I do my little family talk with you. There are going to be, we, we have some very impressive, wonderful, loving people who love Jesus and love others. And they're, they're the prayer team. And at the conclusion today, they're going to be over here. Would you flip the prayer team lights on? Uh, actually, this is a glow that just comes from heaven on the sides. Well, that's the wrong one. <laughs> They're, they're going to find those in just a moment. And when it does, you'll feel the anointing just come into the room. And it's right under the screen over here. These prayer team lights come up. And it's like, oh, there they are. See? Power of God right there. Uh, at the conclusion of our time today, after <clears throat> Bailey will come up and close. Bailey, God bless you. Bailey will come up and close in just a little bit. Once she's concluded, everybody's going to go out. But if you want someone just to pray the prayer of agreement with you, I want you to come forward, okay? Come to the prayer team. We'll take a moment, pray with you. Any need you have, we, just, we believe in the power of prayer. It's wonderful. All right, let me just uh, talk with you for a moment. My travels in England these past few weeks um, thrust me into many forums of conversation and ministry. Two of those forums, I was kind of shocked, to be honest with you, Uh, And I felt the Lord just prompting me, just as a family, we would talk about it together today, particularly in light of the topic that we're bringing. Uh, But two of those forums, the pastors began to discuss how uh, in England, they passed legislation resembling our legislation well before us, accommodating uh, civil union, same-sex marriage. That's now affecting the church in a very unique way. And we need to be aware of that. And, um, and I want to talk about it just for a few moments. And I want to ask you, just help me with this, okay? God forbid we reduce such important issues to mere talking points and arguments that help us knock somebody down. That is not what this is about many of us in this room have friends and family members who are living a homosexual lifestyle I have both you you understand and we need to give consideration to the fact that we're not talking about discussion points here we're talking about people so let's do that in a way that would bring honor to Jesus Lord help us to have this conversation a few you've asked me to, and I pray, Lord, you'd help us to in such a way that it would bring glory and honor to you, dignity to others, and transformation to our world, just that all of us would become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't wanna stir up emotional support. I wanna challenge you to greater maturity in all of our responses. Reactions are unacceptable, they're actually born out of the heart of religion. We're very good at that. The church of our world today is far more religious than any of the church wants to admit or accept, but the more you react, the more religious you are. Let me just say that again, the more you react, the more religious you are. If you're fanning things out in public social networking to express your reaction, you're being very religious and you need to stop that. <clears throat> Maturity delays a reaction so we can have a loving response, okay? That, that's the long and the short of this. So. Here's the thing, and I'm going to walk you through this a bit. Let's not lose our mind over the world being the world. Honestly, I'm going to make a statement. I'll conclude with a statement today as well. The devil doesn't mind what side of this issue you're on as long as you relax politically or religiously and demonize those you are against. The devil loves that. Do you agree with that statement? He doesn't care which side you're on as long as he can just get you to begin expressing division and creating hate and insensitivity and that's not what we're about. We're about the love and the life of Jesus and it's truth and it's grace and all of that coming together that we can be the expression of maturity that God wants us to be in the the world. So let's not lose our mind over the world being the world let's just simply let the church be the church. The church needs to be God's called the church to be. To understand this, the Supreme Court, uh, I, I know there have been so many people saying so many things, but listen, the Supreme Court was not debating Scripture when it was trying to come up with the constitutionality of this particular conclusion. They weren't debating Scripture. Any issue the Supreme Court discusses, they do so trying to determine the constitution, constitutionality of that particular issue. So don't react as if they've been debating Scripture. That's not what they were debating. But let's also understand, guys you and I are not judged according to the Constitution you and I will always be judged according to the Word of God therefore it is up to you personally to come to your conclusion on this particular issue by looking at the Word of God as your sole source of conclusion not your preference not your desire not your opinion God's Word has to be the case so I want to give you some basis of that to help you in that conclusion you know we were in Amsterdam as a part of our trip and I just gotta tell you there's this inner conflict man you're walking down the street and like prostitution's totally legal there and so they have uh, you know we go window shopping here and you look at the mannequins they're actually prostitutes that are naked in the windows uh, trying to attract you to their business and they're you know it's, it's like this inner conflict uh, of what's so socially normal and internally you know, you're, this is like the new normal. And so internally, and so they've decided that prostitution is legal in Amsterdam. Let me just say, everybody on the planet can vote for prostitution to be legal, but that doesn't make it right. Everybody on the planet can vote for something to be legal, but that doesn't necessarily mean they've got it right. We need to let God's word establish that. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, Right? I've said this a lot. Seek his kingdom. And I've not really put this yet, but seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You cannot separate God's righteousness from his kingdom. You can't do it. So we need to make sure we're understanding. This can take us to uncomfortable positions of truth at times, but we will not separate God's kingdom from his righteousness. So let's be clear on this scripturally speaking. Here's what I'm hearing a lot of. A lot of people are quoting the book of Leviticus. Don't eat ham and Uh, You know, different things, oh no, God, I'm eating ham sandwich, no. And so like they throw everything out of the book of Leviticus because they're quoting these verses that don't seem to make sense in the day that we live in today. Okay, listen, in the book of Leviticus, which we've studied together, in the book of Leviticus there are three distinct categories of law. You need to understand this as you're coming to your own conclusions about these important issues. There are civil, ceremonial, and moral laws listed in the book of Leviticus. Civil laws are about calling order to the community. Ceremonial laws are the things required of the priests. Moral laws are timeless laws that are not only spoken in the book of Leviticus, but they're reiterated, if you'd like to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 sometime and just read that chapter, it's a reiteration of these moral laws. All the moral laws that are spoken of in the book of of Leviticus are reiterated by Paul to the Corinthian church and also in the book of Romans. Uh, And these are the moral laws that are timeless laws that express the nature of God and His desire for us to be complete. So recognizing that, don't take the priestly laws and then disqualify the moral laws. I mean, you know, love your neighbor is in Leviticus. Love your neighbor is like not cast out because we can eat ham sandwiches now. Okay? I mean, there's something going on here, and we need to understand that. We need to recognize that. Jesus communicated his views on this. That's another thing people are saying. Jesus never weighed in on such issues. But if Jesus was reversing some of those laws and Paul's going to reiterate some of those laws, then surely Jesus would have said something further about this. But in Matthew 19, Jesus said, when he spoke of marriage, he said, for this cause man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So this is, this is what we just have to understand and recognize. And everybody's got to walk through this. You need to have your own personal set of convictions and guidelines for, based on your interpretation of Scripture. But as a church family, as an eldership structure, our expression is very clearly, we're not talking about one issue, we're talking about an overall issue of sexual sin. We believe Lot and his daughters participated in sexual sin when they were impregnated. We don't believe in uh, incestual sex, that that's okay. We don't believe adultery is okay. Uh, That's not being cast out because of Levitical law changing okay we don't believe these are the things sexual sin is anything other than one man one woman in the confines of covenant marriage experiencing and expressing sexual relationship everything other than that is what the Bible describes as sexual sin so here's my challenge to you folks please avoid blanket statements insensitivities and hateful expressions that separate us relationally from people that we should be loving you can have Distinction without producing division. Somehow Jesus did this. Jesus didn't rail on anybody he disagreed with morally, biblically. He railed on religious people that railed on people they disagreed with morally, biblically. We really need to learn something here. I'm I'm sounding the alarm to this generation church. Jesus reduced all of this to two things. He said, This is what it all lands on, guys. Love God love others. And let me just say, good doctrine wins people, not arguments. When Christians get more interested in being right than they are in loving people, they're simply no longer like Jesus. So largely Christians have been speaking about these issues through a bullhorn. And they should be happening around a coffee table. And So as God opens doorways for you to be in relationship with people, let me just encourage you to leave your bullhorn away and have a loving conversation. With somebody wherever they are in any issues going on in their lives, all issues going on in their lives, just a loving conversation and let God do what God wants to do. <clears throat> people ministering to people is what will truly change the world. So let me just reiterate, the devil doesn't mind what side you're on as long as you react politically or religiously to demonize those you're, those you're against and I'll conclude by simply saying this, first century believers grew in power, grace and numbers living under a very oppressive government that did not buy into any of their religious beliefs, regardless of any legislative conclusions in any direction that might, in our views, violate our faith, you and I can still grow in grace and numbers and strength as the first century church did so it can be for the 21st century church. I believe God's plan is for us to live, love, strengthen, empower, and win the world to know Jesus and the world will be a better place. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand of praise today. Why don't you give him glory and honor as we conclude our time together this morning.